0: Happened a few times that the front door is open, and so I grab this this long stabby thing that I have next to the bed just in
1: case someone breaks in. A long stabby. Yeah, because your bloke's got to protect his family, right? Hello, and welcome to episode twenty-seven of the Security So What podcast on the twentieth of November two thousand fifteen. On a scorching Friday morning, it's set to be like 41 degrees today, yeah. so we are all sitting here in our shorts, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> um, certainly I've got the air conditioning pumped on because it's going to be a brutal one today, um, but on that we're all good, Dan. enough for the weather updates, enough of the weather update. Uh, you can tell I'm a pom, um, <laughs> always talking about the weather. Um, So I'm here joined today um, with Nick McDonald, and I am your host, Mike Ferguson. Hey, everyone. Cool. So um, we will get started. We've got a couple of uh, articles. We're obviously in a bit cheerier mood today uh, than uh, the negativity of last week after all of those different data breaches and feeling like uh, it's an uphill battle. Um, But yeah, we've got some uh, interesting articles today. Um, We'll go through, determine whether or not we think they are FUD or kind of interesting, Uh, and worth taking note of. Uh, But before we do, we have to state that the thoughts and opinions expressed on the podcast are ours, and not necessarily those of our employees. But they might be. But they're not, probably not. (laughs) 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 Oh, we're in a jubile. (laughs) It's good. It's Friday, it's nearly the weekend, and uh, it's nice and warm for once. So, uh, let's get started. Uh, The first article today comes from eSecurityPlanet.com, and says that 40% 40% of companies expect an insider data breach next year. So essentially a recent survey of 500 IT decision makers and 4,000 employees in US, UK, Germany and Australia conducted by Loud House on the behalf of ClearSwift has found that 40% of companies expect to experience a data breach resulting from employee behaviour in the next 12 months. So that's not the yeah the the nation states the you know advanced malware all of that kill chain stuff that we we talk about that's you know the a user extracting data from the network that is at a you know, outside of security you know the security policy um what is interesting um is that um, this isn't i don't actually think i think we all know this this isn't actually the fault of the employees necessarily not always. You're going to get some bad apples, and certainly, like you know, you find in certain businesses, right, like within sales, where contact information is crucial, you know, to remaining competitive. Like you don't want to find that everyone have all your contact information because you, know, you don't want them, them speaking to speaking to your customers about, you know, competitive products. Um, but I think that you know, for most part, um, you know, it's people just don't know what really constitutes a data breach. I mean, if they're just doing yeah. their job. I mean, 75% is the number listed here that says employee. Uh, 70% of employees' believe care company doesn't give them enough information about data policies and what is expected of them. Now, I imagine that if you are going, oh, look, yeah, I'm just really busy, I'm a trusted person, I'm just trying to do the right thing, I'm going to take these... Um, these reports and this contract information home so that I can
0: work on them and get them done over the weekend. That's fair enough. You're being efficient and a good employee and you want to get more work done for the organization. But no. No. (laughs) If you don't want that, that might not be a bad thing. I
1: mean, it really does depend on every organization and their strategy and their their posture. But if they've made that decision, they can't just go, well, that's that's for for security to know and we're just going to... You have to tell the business and that business is, you know, the the life force of that business is the employees. Mm. And just saying, you know, you're right, you know, it's part of our policy that we won't. We don't allow that. Certainly during any uh, enrollment process, you know, you, once you're getting somebody, you know, you've employed someone, let them know. We don't allow the use of Dropbox. If you need to take something home, speak to IT about the secure methods for doing so. We will be tracking we will notify, yeah, yeah. Yeah. all that stuff, or
0: or, or enable them a step further and give them a corporate device that has data security that they can take home, so take home their laptop and do the work on the weekend like the employee wants. If they want to do it, let them do it, enable them.
1: Yeah, I think that there's, the shadow IT piece is where this also comes into play, right, because we've also had a bunch of um, potential, you know, customers (laughs) who reach out to us because the the Dropbox have been in touch and gone, Hey look, um we've got a bunch of uh you know your employees storing data on um, you know on Dropbox. they're using your you know, corporate email addresses, your domain so um are you guys interested in getting like a, a business account Maybe And this well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, charge for this like, make this official make this a and then guys are going what i didn't know this, so if you don't want them to be on Dropbox, and not that Dropbox is necessarily an insecure platform, I think it's more that <laughs> <laughs> I think that what we're saying is that if you said, well, well, the corporate strategy would be to use OneDrive you know, Microsoft, part of the the, you know, the, the Office suite, you can use Office 365 suite, you can use OneDrive, mm. and there you go you've got access, and we're going to monitor that and make sure that you don't upload nasty stuff to it
0: Yeah, that's. I mean that's exactly right The uh, I suppose the, the, the corporate policy around data security has got to protect against the whoops, moments as well I mean, I got, I got a story here for you this morning. Wake up at 5 o'clock, getting ready for the gym. This this is the sort of thing that are, things that happen to me. So it, it's obviously not – it happens to everyone else, but I'm sure it just happens to me a little bit more. Uh, Wake up at 5 in the morning, go to the gym. Uh, went to have a banana, peeled the banana, uh, and threw away the actual edible part <laughs> in the bin. Looked down, went to go take a bite, and realized I was just holding skin. That's the most
1: Australian thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> Aussie, yeah. I woke up. You know, I live by the beach. Going to go to the gym at five a.m. in the morning. That's most palms are just
0: like, "What the hell?" <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, then you make the stupid mistake of throwing away your banana. Yeah. The, the worst part was is that was my last banana, so it wasn't the best start in the morning. But it's those sort of those sort of colossal uh, f ups that, that you need to be um, secured about. Yeah, I, I guess what you're saying is
1: like um, uh, the. People are going to go, oh, perfect, well, I'll just send this to my Hotmail address, and then I'll do it at home. They're not thinking in a malicious sense. It just, oh, I just didn't think that that was a bad thing. And it says here, like, 50% of respondents admit that they actually disregard the company's data protection policies (laughs) in order to get things done. And I think that that's an interesting one in itself, in psychology, you know, this is just the way I like to do things. And that does mean that perhaps we need to have some strict controls around well, I want you to be dynamic, um, and that means the business and the security team and the IT team need to have their you know, uh, finger on the, you know, the, on the pulse of the business uh, to really understand, like, oh, look, we're trying to be dynamic, we're trying to do this stuff. It's not about being restrictive and protecting data. It's about how do we enable them, get them to be really dynamic, so that when they need, oh, it comes second nature. You can give them training on this stuff straight away, and I'm sure that that is possible, yeah. but it requires you being, you know, on the pulse of the business and, and really being integrated with the business as opposed to just going, you know, a bunch of nerds in the, you know, in the dungeon downstairs setting up policies
0: that restrict the business. Yeah, uh, definitely. But it could, could also be a step further than this required from the organization since I'm sure everyone's been in a position where there's some corporate uh, session that's on about training on something and you've gone, no, oh, I've, got, I've got too much work load on right now. I'm going to go ahead and tackle this because this has got a deadline that's really, really close. And if, I'm, if, I, if I sit in that room for two hours, I'm going to be up till midnight working on this. And it could be those sort of particular instances when the, it's actually critical to the organization and could have a really big knock-on effect. The could be the, uh, uh, it sort of it would require more of a business director to go, no, this is more required. Make sure you have your work done by the state because mm. you need to be trained for this.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I thought one of the other interesting points we, we've spoken a bit about it previously. Um, it's saying that seventy-two uh, percent of security professionals in the survey believe their board doesn't treat internal security threats with the same level of importance as external security threats. So they go, "Oh, malware coming in." Um, you know, they, maybe they read the news and think, yeah, nation state sounds dreadful." You know, the Chinese are trying to get a lot data Let's try and block this stuff out. And you go. Okay, that's, that whilst that is important, the people who already have your data are those inside or third parties. I mean, we did the global state of Information su- uh, survey two weeks ago. twenty two percent and you know, uh, both you know both the internal users and third party contractors were joint you know, top of the, the biggest risk to an organization. Because they have your information, and they have access, yeah, it was yes, okay, so malicious entities trying to get in so that they can get your data and then they can try and take it out or do something disruptive with it. you've already given some guys you know they employees in. they're already in, and they've got your information, and you know all it takes is you know for some people, it could be like you know one move or you know somebody's been going for a for a promotion, doesn't get it, screw you guys, I'm out of here. And he's got access to all of this information, and you know it takes it's so silly that this stuff happens and if you don't have you know visibility, understanding you know un- understand the risks, you know, uh, know your responsibility you know within from a business perspective your responsibility mm-hmm. um, to protect that data I mean it's the life force of your business, and you've got to get, make them dynamic. we want them to be using the data and get the most out of it, but at the same time um. Yeah, you know, if they do something disruptive with it I mean they're halfway there they 've got the information if they want to do something disruptive with it they 've already got the information and then they can find a way. yeah you know, people always say oh, dlp's crazy because if they want to find a way they'll, they'll find, a way. find a way and malicious insiders that 's the problem is that you know they might go, oh I've been thinking about it for for a while, and most people oh, well i 'll just store this here now or oh you i 'm working late, or just your behaviors change and maybe We'll start to see a, you know, a growing need for behavioural analysis, you know, anomaly type behaviours. So, you know, if somebody's been working nine to five, you know, for three years, and then suddenly he's like, "I'm working until six o'clock," and he's coming in late, uh, you know, you're like, "Okay, well, it's not. Maybe it's fine, but I'm gonna maybe observe what's going on here a little bit mm-hmm. more." And you're not necessarily just prying into everything that the guy's doing. It's just you know, you go, well, if there's additional triggers on how he's moving data around and accessing critical data more than he was previously, hmm, what's going on here? And that, that in itself allows you
0: to... Interrogate yeah. him. Yeah. Put him in a, push him to the corner of the room and go,
1: what are you doing? him. It's the only way. It's the he only easy. way to tackle Only answer. It's the only way people respond.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Um... <laughs> That's definitely, <laughs> not a <laughs> <laughs> <Apologies>. <laughs> definitely not the case um
1: so I just thought that was kind of interesting, so fifty percent say with that they disregard companies' um, data protection policies seventy five percent believe that their companies are giving them enough information um and then the policies themselves anyway are more interested in external threats than the people who already have your information i mean that's that's kind of interesting, right? So um, I totally agree. 40% of companies should probably expect an insider data breach
0: because the priorities are all messed up, all messed up. But, but uh, one last comment before we roll on to the next. 40% of companies expect an insider data breach next year. That's that's good. They're planning for it, Hopefully.
1: Yeah, okay, that's a good way of looking at it. You hope that they go, okay, well, we we recognise that this is a risk, a risk, so we've got to maybe up our controls on it. Okay, I'll take that. All right, next article from AustralianSecurityMagazine.com.au. It is, Intel Security has released a hidden data economy report. Uh, it's a pretty cool um, report um, on the hidden data, I guess. Um, because uh, which provides an interesting insight into the overlooked issue of what happens to individuals and users data after a breach so yeah if you want to understand a bit more about like the economy and the yeah, ecology in you know the, the, the cyber criminals um, yeah, the, the life cycles of these you know cyber criminals data breaches and what they do with within how it all fits together um it's it would be a really interesting report and some of the interesting findings of certainly resonates for Australia, is they're stating that the average estimated price, so, I mean, I presume that they've worked this out quantitatively instead of qualitatively, and the estimated price for stolen credit and debit cards in Australia is averaged at about between $21 and $40. Now, that you go, okay, well, what does, what does that mean? Well, in the US, it's $5 to 30 so, yeah, you know, but. Just on the top numbers, it's you know, Australia's at forty, US is at thirty. I presume all of these are you know, in uh, you know, the same currency. Mm. Um, certainly, the, it says that the UK's is twenty to thirty-five. So Australia's topping that. I mean, other than Canada, and it says that the European Union. So that's obviously a broader spectrum of com- uh, countries of twenty-five to forty-five dollars. Australia is, you know, uh, up there, you know, higher or more valuable. The data is more valuable than the UK and
0: the US, which obviously would make sense. It would make a lot of sense. Um, good to know that we're not the MVPs, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's still a pretty risky position to be in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everyone's was just like, the target Germany. <laughs> Go for the German dollar. <laughs> Leave us alone. Um, it's way more valuable. Um, so, no, it's um, I think that uh, that is interesting. Obviously, any any marketplace or you know, if it becomes too saturated with a certain type of information, then the value of that goes down. I mean, no, that's... Uh, Economics one one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the value of something. If there's too much of it, it's not as, you know, uh, supplying, uh,
0: supply. Supply and demand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking: could the fact that our dollar is now doing pretty rough against the rest of the world could that mean our demand is decreasing as well? Since our money won't go as far, so a five a credit card in, the, in Australian dollars with a five thousand dollar limit is not going to get you as far as, say, a German uh, credit card. With a five thousand euro uh, limit.
1: Well, that, that, that's of Germany. <laughs> uh, leave us alone. Um, yeah, but I mean, it is that's certainly a point. I, I think that you know, as you know, the economy switches, and we saw a huge increase in two thousand fourteen when we were doing really well. That was when we started to like maybe two thousand thirteen to two thousand. We started to be hit, mm. and that was the dollar was just like so high. We were doing so well. And that would make sense that we were suddenly targeted. Maybe the price is still up because you know, the types of attacks they did were really more around ransomware. Mm. Uh, the ransom type stuff, so they weren't necessarily extracting credit card details. They were just being sent Bitcoins. Um, so you know, whether or not they now they go, well, we still need that data or that information.
0: It, it, it's not like all the attacks stopped for the uh, theft of PCI. It was... It was it was it was still there, pretty consistent. It was just we would uh, ransomware was a lot more in your face because your computer was locked and held from ransom basically. I
1: mean, yeah, it's certainly more visible. Yeah,
0: no, no yeah, it's there it wasn't sort yeah, it wasn't
1: hiding in the background. It was mm. locking the screen. Um so that's interesting. I think one of the, the other interesting points is that they have different prices on bank login credentials. So, like, you know, you're trying to log into your, your Commonwealth, your Westpac's, that login details, they will sell that um, with different prices based on what's inside your bank. So they've already logged in, determined how much money you've got, and then going, well, this guy's really rich, so I'll sell that for this much.
0: Mm. Bidding. Which, Bidding will start at yeah. 500 bucks. So and it looks like it's r- selling at roughly 10% of the... Um, the actual yeah, content of the website. Yeah. So uh so basically I'm guessing that the key thing they'll be doing from there is using the account to purchase a untraceable fund. So uh Michael Ferguson, your account is compromised, I'm now gonna purchase X amount of Western Union dollars and send it to my mm-hmm. cousin, something like that.
1: Log in and then just do a salami attack where just I'd set up a recurring payment of one dollar every month, yeah, and do that for yeah. I mean, depending on who it is, they're not going to notice. It could be ten dollars, it could be a hundred, depending on how much money these people have. So there's it, just it's just crazy that they have that. And you, you made a great point earlier about you know credit card uh, payment uh, or insurance is all around the credit card. So if you've got somebody you know, somebody making a payment, you know, on you know your online banking. Is that going to be covered? I mean, I don't know the banking system here, but if he, if somebody goes and makes a transaction and says, oh, I'm going to transfer $1,000 to this account, and I put my hand up and go, that wasn't me, and they go, well, you had your login details, and I'm like, I know, but he was stolen.
0: Yeah, but I'm, I'm st- I'm like, we need to read the fine print on this, because we know, we know for a fact, this has probably happened to all of us now, where our credit card's been taken for a ride, and some... Uh, transactions went through on our cards that weren't made by us mm. and we get our money back. It takes you know, sometimes an annoying amount of time that you get your money back. For, for your login credentials. So
1: they've got so many
0: things around that as well. Like uh, Commonwealth
1: does a freeze on your card. yeah, Which is awesome in case like because if you lose your card it'll just go I'll oh, we'll freeze it. Now i found it I'll freeze it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's happening. It was in my other gene pass. Yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah so there's like there's just lots of different methods for dealing with credit cards, and that's why we go, well, whilst credit card information is you know is valuable and you know can have an impact from from my perspective, I'm like, well, I can cancel it pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and I'll still get my money back, yeah if, especially if I pay on my credit card because it's not it's credit, it's the bank's money right yeah and um, so that's the way I look at it um so they'll they'll obviously fight for that money um but yeah, the login credentials. So it's, it's an interesting report. I, I'm definitely going to try and spend a bit more time reading you know, the, the state of the cybercrime economy. I think it's kind of interesting uh, to know that stuff. Um, anyway, talking about the cybercrime economy, it's the, booming. the next article comes from CSOOnline.com uh, and, and it's new ransomware business cashing in on the crypto locker's name. So, a new service launched this week uh, that is offering a new ransomware product under the name Cryptolocker to anyone willing to pay 10% of the collected ransom to the designers of the service. So, if you are looking to a, make a quick buck, um, no, don't do this, it's obviously illegal and nasty, but it, you, know, you basically... Absolutely it's yeah, there's ethical reasons why you shouldn't be doing it, but in addition to the core, uh, core ransomware product, the ultimate goal of the business owner is to implement additional functions to the malware, including linking it to recently produced exploits. Um, the service is called CryptoLocker Service. It's a new venture launched this week on a standalone Darknet website. The venture is being run by a person using the handle FACBen, and... Um, yeah, essentially, he's uh, they've set up um, allowing you to uh, generate your own ransomware campaigns and send it out, and then once people start paying the ransom, do you have to pay them um, the ten percent? It does say that the CryptoLocker service requires a fifty dollars USA uh, fee, um, which in order to give you the uh, basic ransomware payload. Um, so it's basically we talk about you know ransomware as a service, yeah. You know, uh malware as a service uh type platforms where they have this whole um um uh, infrastructure in the back end where you go, well I want to use this email campaign, send to these users in this demographic, um and it's gonna cost me I want them to be hosted on this bot network and I want it to deliver this malware and etc etc et, cetera, et, cetera, et cetera. Um and you can purchase all that from different people and mm-hmm. then put it together and you're you're not you know some like script kitty that knows all this stuff. You just pull it all together as if you're you know making a um you know a blog spot website, you know? Mm-hmm. It it's really done that way. And I think this is obviously very, very similar to that, but um you know it's really giving lip service to that you know, the CryptoLocker name because that is you know been so successful yeah, in yeah. in you know Crypto CryptoLocker, you know, Tower Locker, there's a bunch of them now.
0: And that's it um fuck probably didn't even develop much of the code himself. he probably just was, um, was one of the users that went on to Pastebin and found a lot of the source code for some of these malicious attacks and then just converted a bit of it to make his own package it's a clever genius model a uh, clever business model um, but it's it's pretty worrying how how easy the access is especially that now there's a lot of um uh, hackers are using pastebin so prevalently, prevalently for either posting the code, some of the information they've found, or even doxing people. Yeah.
1: I mean, the crazy thing is that, like, you know, back when I had has spoken to CSO online, I mean really he's quite open. This is a business, whatever. I've used new code. I've made it myself. It's, you know, it's not like I'm stealing from anyone. I'm, <laughs> what a guy. Such a good guy. I'm just providing um, people with a a service. So um, really interesting that this stuff is out there and it's not going to go away. I think we know that, you know, that ransom model, whether it's ransomware as we know it, um, you know, we saw uh, recently a ransomware type that was changing the um, file names. You didn't know what to restore. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting. We've seen stuff and uh, new ransomware campaigns that are extracting the data and are saying, Well we'll delete it only if um, you uh, you pay yeah, us. Yeah. So all the, like that ransom model is really interesting. It's going straight to the source saying this is gonna impact you. Um, I'll remove it if you pay me this money. Um God, they really delete it. God no, mm-hmm. they'll just remove it from where it is. put it on a USB and store it somewhere. Now, I'll take it offline. I'm not going to delete it. Come back to get you next week.
0: closing a lot of trust.
1: Yeah, exactly. So th- this ransom model is really, really successful, and it's not going to go away. So I, it's not sh- that shocking to see that now, you know, we're getting, you know, the uh, idiot-proof version of, yeah, uh, you know, deploying this, and uh, Australian organisations are going to have to just understand that we're going to have to try and think of a way that's going to protect us against this stuff. Um, Yeah, kind of interesting. And on top of that, the next article from ARN, um, arnnet.com.au, it's basically saying that Australia increases clicks on malicious URLs in Q3 of 2015. We're now ranked fourth in the world for the highest number of dangerous clicks. Uh, I mean despite the onslaught of email campaigns that contain URL you know links in them, the increase was <laughs> um, across the country more than 22 million hits to dangerous URLs were made in Q3 of 2015, which is a rise from 18.7 million the previous quarter. Now, whether or not that means that there were more actual emails sent, mm. so there was more opportunity for people to click, it doesn't say. But we're still clicking them. And, I mean, I, I, I'm not seeing that. The, the, some of the campaigns, obviously, we get, we get access to customers' emails, and we obviously have seen it online, a lot of this stuff. I don't see too many um, yeah, really clever phishing email. Not recently, no. No, like uh, some of the campaigns that we saw with, like you know, Energy Australia and Oz Post and all those that were just like, oh yeah, that looks totally like a legitimate email.
0: But <clears throat> when they were coming out, people were like, if you get an email from Oz Post or the State dead re- um, uh, uh, whatever the State yeah. Debt Recovery, don't click it, don't click it. And so it became pretty popular, pretty fast. And everyone was aware, just don't click it. Don't click an email from Australia Post. It's not Australia Post. These ones are kind of slipping under the radar. It's, the, the attacks have increased, but they're really basic, and so therefore they're not getting as much notoriety because it's not sort of a big name company.
1: I think that's actually pretty, yeah, because like, some of the emails are, yeah, they're from like uh, Sandra Burke at something, uh, invoice
0: you know, November 2015, and you go, oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I've, I've, um, from uh, assisting customers or sort of providing health checks, I've seen a number of um these malicious links that um have been caught, and they were coming from legitimate, um, organisations, legitimate Australian organisations, um, uh, either from actual compromised domains or it was spoofed, uh, and they were all relating around invoices. A lot of them were mm-hmm. relating around um, macros in Word documents, but they Seemed like what a, potentially a small business might be sending out. Pretty basic, mm. not, not a huge amount of construction to the email. And it would pass a lot of the, the email sender checks as well, in most cases.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that they're definitely just a different approach. They're looking slightly different. Um, mm. But it's still a significant number of increases in whether or not we are, one, are we having the right security awareness training for our users? Two, are we implementing the right type of uh, email controls or are we still dragging our heels and going, oh, well, budget's being you know, decreased and you know, the CEO wants us to go mobile and that's more important to us right now strategically. Our users, that we're just going to have to suck it up and keep cleaning up these infected machines. Um, maybe that's the case, but you know, this it, stuff is just not going away. And you know, it's having an impact on businesses. So, you know, from what we keep reading and from what we, you know, whenever we go into a meeting with, you know, customers that are screaming that things are bad and it's a a real cause, well, it's time to do your job and, you know, we've got to clean the stuff up and Mm -hmm. do what we can to to fix it. And on that, nice little segue, next one, that's two in a row, pretty pretty good at this now. (laughs) (laughs) It's from itgovernance.co.uk. Uh, we'll make this the last of the articles today. It's basically eight basic cybersecurity questions you should be asking right now. So, following Tuesday's announcement by the UK's uh, government that uh, uh, the Islamic State is plotting cyber attacks, um, at bringing down the infrastructure of uh, the UK, the government is renewing its calls for companies to protect themselves against cyber attacks. How can you do this? Well, there are eight. So easy steps to follow. Um, It's pretty good. I I do admit, I think they're pretty decent before we go into the think They're pretty decent. Some are easier said than done. But I think if you were to go through and see what was required in your business, that like you spoke to your IT guys, you spoke security guys and said, at each of these points, what do I need to do? How difficult is it? What's it going to cost me? And that, you know, hopefully, you know, that that'd put you in good stead. So, One, do we have up-to-date firewalls, antivirus, and malware protection software on all of our internet-connected
0: devices? Does it refrigerate it?
1: (laughs) If it does, (laughs) do we have protection and up-to-date protection in between that device and the internet? Pretty straightforward that you know, yeah, patched, that's you know, enough. latest downloads, the latest databases, the latest you know, uh, signature stuff, all that stuff. Is it up to date? Is it, um, are am I sitting on 15-year-old technology uh, that's not going to really provide me with too much coverage in 2015? So That's kind of a nice one. Um, and it says all internet devices, so it's not just your laptops, it could be your fridges, it could be point of sale malware, yeah, point of sale devices. Yeah. Um, all that it's stuff. It's a huge effect, uh, Certainly at the moment. So anything that is uh, has you know between it, um, you know has connectivity to the internet, um, either directly or indirectly. What do I have in between it? Is it up to date? Pretty good one. Do we, including our employees, use strong, unique, and diverse passwords? Uh, and I'd go as far as to say you need things like LastPass and all of those, you know, mm. password stores. So that'd be a good one to, to look at. But yeah, like what's the, the password strategy? I mean, as long as LastPass doesn't get compromised again. Yeah, of course. But um <laughs> remember right that was only the uh, management password, not necessarily all of their passwords within the safe. And they were hashed secretly, supposedly. So uh, they didn't think that there was too many compromises there. But either way, <laughs> either way the principle is solid the principle is solid um and i think just having a strong strategy around like passwords and then telling you cuz yeah you know, use new ways of changing your passwords i know it's a difficult one i know that um you know you need something that can be easy to remember and type mm. we want you to lock your screens when you leave you know, your desks so when you come back you don't like mine is far too long i know it is I wouldn't. I couldn't <laughs> ask somebody to do that that isn't, you know, yeah, a touch typist uh, that knows, yeah, you know, the key you know, positioning. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's you yeah, know, you want something that is pretty easy for them to remember, but is secure. And I think that there's stuff, you know, methods out there. Yeah, you know, we've spoken about yeah the first line of the song or yeah you know, that isn't a key, you know, an actual word. It can't mm-hmm. be hit by you know, a dictionary attack. Um, but also has all of those components in there that they need to. So that's a good one. Next one: Do we regularly audit and update our user access privileges? So uh, permission creep is you know, huge, right? So you know, we if internally you've got a guy that has moved to three or four different roles and different departments, different projects, and you aren't retain, you know, removing the access
0: for that user, and he retains everything,
1: and then that guy gets compromised. Whoa. He's got access to lots of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah, and and it's not that difficult to go, okay, well, you know, one, you should just have policies in place to ensure that when they move to a new department, they don't retain their permissions. Mm -hmm. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, But we know that that does happen because you can do two projects at once, source. there's overlap and stuff like this. However, um, auditing that and making sure that users do have the right permissions should just be a part of a uh, weekly or monthly. Cycle to go through, Um, yeah, quarterly. I wouldn't. Yeah, it's not too too bad, but they have a process in place just so they understand who's. Yeah, people have got the right access. Uh, Do we have effective configuration management systems and processes? Um, Yeah, so obviously uh, any CMS systems, just make sure that they are. Yeah, have again. It's all permissions, so you want to make sure that they've got the right. uh, They're used for the right things. Have the right permissions on them. Um, that's going to make most sense. Um, are we using unlicensed software? So you know, with Shadow ITs and Massagon, do we have people accessing systems externally? So that's
0: freeware. Uh, that's open source, and I suppose i could even include people with black hats on yeah. and keygens, because a crack key could be doing could contain other descriptions as well.
1: I mean it' would be great to have a you know an application workless that says you can't install anything other than these you know unmodified mm-hmm. systems yeah. um, the other one that's interesting I was reading about the other day is just the number of systems that have um, you know unofficial um, the, the number of Linux servers that have unofficial software installed on them um, because it's just scripts and you just run them and you know you can get them off the internet and that's not part of yeah, the uh, official platform because it's usually done by the IT guys. We just like I just need to get it done. Um, so all that stuff, obviously, yeah. You know, if it's not licensed, if it's not known. If it's not listed on a security checkbox, there's risk to it. Despite us wanting to be dynamic, unlicensed software not just has a compliance mm. aspect to it, um, but also the security risks to that. Um, do we update our software as soon as a new version is available? Of course not. No one does that. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, we Deeper should. Efforts, downtime. Yeah, but there, there should always be a policy in place. You know, you certainly shouldn't be. Uh, yeah, I would say that if you know you're a year out of date, there's a broken process. I think that's fair to say. A year is, yeah, you know, there's a broken
0: process there. Would that would that be? <laughs> it also be applicable to? Um, your device OS as well. So, like a lot of organisations are running on Windows Seven, um, Windows Eight, and Ten is now out. Obviously, Windows Seven has got a lot more exploits for it now than say Windows Ten does, since it hasn't been around for as long. So, couldn't you extend it as far as saying that you need to update the latest OS as well? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean,
1: that's that's exactly it. Like if you're, you know, we know that XP is one of the most insecure platforms. Yeah. There's more. Vulnerabilities and exploits for XP. People still use it, and you go, well, why? Because it's. I don't want to bare uh, bones. It's yeah, it's a, yeah, a pain. It's faster. It's fast. It's a pain to upgrade. I've got to maybe get new hardware. It's costly. Well, yeah, then you have to
0: understand that that's a you know a, a risk to your organisation.
1: So, that's so Windows
0: XP, the as we, so as we know, Apo. Your product Your use, just disappear. Just fighting with that thing. Just fighting with
1: <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, that's a risk in itself. <laughs> um, but we're here we're talking about vulnerabilities and preventing <laughs> ISIS from affecting them, not uh, your preventing
0: them, our opinions about <laughs> Windows solutions.
1: Um, so, have all of our employees recently received basic security awareness training? Well, obviously not, because you keep clicking on these, up. No, that's unfair. but. Yeah, you know, it's fair to say that you know there's so much stuff out there. You can get free security awareness training. You can send them on it, and just you know, in order to you know, this month, if part of your ABCs or something. You know, like there must be some KPIs saying we need you all to have sat and have attended this. Mm. Um, it's not going to take them. You know, it's an hour out of their you know their you know week yeah. out of their month out of their year. Yeah, you know, but it, I saw it. Yeah, you know, did too much, um, and it could be the difference. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, that one person goes, Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that in that training. It could be really useful. It's unlikely that they will do that, but you know, mm. there is a benefit to it. That's why we do it. And um do we regularly conduct vulnerability assessments of our websites, applications, and networks? Of course, it's yeah you know, anything that is owned by yourself that could be compromised. We've seen lots of websites in Australia, where Australian businesses have been infected, mm. um, you know, compromised, very frequently. Um, online applications and yeah you know, that, that kind of stuff needs to be checked. <coughs> I think most people think that think vulnerability testing is purely on the network and can you know you get pen testers to to infect your system, but yeah you know, just any type of assessment on this and understanding where the risks are yeah you know, it's going to be really useful for you to be able to like, continue to go okay, well, which of those other seven yeah you know, the the other seven mm. requires the most
0: you know urgency, but that's the other thing with the with the vulnerability assessments, a lot of vendors who are wanting your business will give you a free assessment on a particular area
1: it's oh, definitely the definitely your web gateway needs <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know they've got spin, but you can get third parties that can do that yeah. although they're they costly um but any they, if that if they're willing to do it, you know, for free, get all of them to do it. I mean, just get them in
0: and they yeah. can provide. So, and if they if they show something that's valid, a need for that to be improved, then sure, you can go with that vendor. If, most, they, if they don't, then goodbye. I think
1: also most vendors are yeah willing to say, oh look, we're doing a great job, you know, as well. You know, yeah. it's, it's quite nice. But um, if they go, oh, there's risk here, they know that they can sell you something else. So that's there's no yeah it's win win really like yeah. if they're happy to demonstrate that they're doing the great job because they get kudos um and, and renewals and stuff, but then also if there's there are vulnerabilities, they can maybe get upsell and there's something else there as well so I don't think that you know you should worry too much about that vendor lean. um and if they're willing to do it for free, more's the better right because yeah. the more information you know will help you go ooh. The vulnerabilities show me that these systems that are, you know, I have unlicensed software, or it's my, you know, user access privileges are causing me issues. So it could be useful to to have those assessments in there. Um, so I think they're really useful. Um, I'll, I'll put the link on the website. Um, but um, that is all we've got time for today. So thank you so much for listening. And um, if you have any questions, email us at contact us at or tweet us at what. Thanks for your time and have a great
0: weekend. See you.